How many of us have church stereotypes rolling through the back of our brains? I don't know. All of us. I think even the people who are so-called veteran Christians, we kind of say, I think we even have church stereotypes. Some of them we get sick with ourselves. Before I get into that, I kind of want to give you some specifics about last week. Um, I said 16 people right here at the Bridge Goldsboro gave their lives to Jesus Christ. That is so worth celebrating, and I'm so glad. One of the most significant decisions, if that was you today, that you'll ever make in your entire life. Um, there was a quick follow-up that was done with you last week. I hope you took that to heart, and I hope you take that next step and be bold. Um, but I also want you to know the larger picture. We are the Bridge Church of North Carolina, and we have other locations. And across all of our locations, we had 145 people say yes to Jesus Christ last week. Is that not exciting? You know what that tells me? That tells me that the Holy Spirit is at work within this church that we, we call the Bridge. It's, it's God's church. And I'm so excited to be a part of what God is doing. As you were inviting people to Easter service last week, uh, the service, maybe you invited them the weeks prior, maybe you encountered some resistance. Maybe you did. I I don't know. Um, You probably ran into some people that maybe didn't want to go. Maybe they were a little scared. Um, The fact is, uh, George Barna did a national survey some time ago and discovered that there's four main excuses why people are resistant to the idea of going to church. I just want to give them to you real fast. Church is boring. Church is irrelevant. There's nothing going on there that has anything to do with my life. Uh, The second one is church people are unfriendly. Um, I wouldn't agree to that wholeheartedly. I think church people are some of the most friendly people on the planet. Uh, The problem is, is that we tend to only be friendly to ourselves. And we kind of miss the whole point of what it is to be the church. Uh, a third reason that people are resistant to the idea of the church is they say the church is greedy. They only care about my money and getting it. Um, today, it's kind of the, the mother of all church stereotypes that we've all heard. Uh, I would go to church, but it's full of, it's full of hypocrites. Um, maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said it. Maybe it's true. I don't know. We're doing a series called Church Is. Insert your stereotypes here. And we're going to take an honest look at stereotypes that people have when it comes to labeling the church. And today we're going to hit a popular one, that church is full of hypocrites. And I just want to tell you three things up front. One is that any church that opens its doors to people at every stage on their journey, no matter what journey they're on, you're going to have inconsistencies within the church. Somebody say amen to that. I want to make a bold statement, and I want you to hear me very loud and clear. If you would consider yourself a hypocrite or you know a hypocrite, they are welcome here at the Bridge Church. Why? Because we love people, whether they've made mistakes or not, we do not close our doors to people who genuinely want to know God, no matter what stage of life they're in. But I also want to say this, be warned, anybody who comes here and is insincere about their desire to know God, anybody who comes here and is insincere about their growing toward biblical integrity and about being in authentic relationships with God and his family, uh, they typically, that type of person, they typically don't last very long. It's typically a seasonal thing. Um, And it's not because we don't want them here or we shove them out or we don't love them, uh, but it's because there's an environment here that fosters transparency and truth. And when you're in that environment, it repels insincerity. It just does, because before long, it's awfully hard to sit here as an insincere person week after week and hear the truth and not wrestle with it. It's just the culture that we have. So so yes, the church has hypocrites in it. I wouldn't say it's full of them, but, but they're here. So I just want to get that out of the way, but I want you to hear me very clearly. God never instructed anybody, no human on the planet that ever was or is or will be, to refuse to be a part of his church because there are hypocrites in it. 
He never instructed us to do that. Just because there are confused Christians who, who, who kind of give God a bad name, that doesn't give anybody the right to deny the Christian faith altogether. And, and on the flip side, he never instructed the church to start throwing people out, at least not on the outset. In fact, there's a story in Matthew uh, chapter 13 where Jesus is teaching the opposite. He's, he's kind of using this illustration. We call them parables in the Bible to describe his church. I just kind of want to read this for you, and then we'll kind of be the basis of, of the message for today. In verse 24, Jesus said this, you know, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So think about a farmer sowing seed in his field. He wanted to get a crop. He said, but while uh, everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. And then he went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. So this is like hypocrites in the church. There are some good, passionate, honest folk. And then there's some hippos in there too, right? And so verse 27 said, the owner's servants came to him and said, listen, didn't you sow good seed in your field, sir? Isn't this supposed to be a church, right? Where didn't the weeds come from? Verse 28, an enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, well, look, do you want us to go and pull them up, pull up the, the weeds? Listen to what the master says. No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with it. Let them both grow together. Say together. Let them both grow together until the harvest time. And at that time, there's coming a day, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. Church, our goal is not to go ripping people out of the church. Our goal is not, Christ instructed, not to go ripping ourselves out of the church. Our goal is to be a church that grows together, listen, and seeks to understand and address hypocrisy. Do you hear me? Our, our, our goal as a church, Christ instructed, is to go together and seek to understand and address hypocrisy. If you don't understand it, you can't address it. And if you don't address hypocrisy, there's absolutely no way that we can survive together. No one will live in a toxic environment where things like that go on and no one's willing to stand up and address it. So we have to understand hypocrisy, but we also have to address it. And so I want to give you two things in order to do that. Understand and address hypocrisy as a church. We ready to go together? Because remember, bailing isn't an option. Jesus didn't say you can bail. He said grow together. So first we need to understand what hypocrisy is. Recognize what a hypocrite is. That's, that's the first directive I want to give you. Recognize what it is. Jesus often spoke to religious leaders as hypocrites. Isn't that funny? Uh, I mean, you wouldn't think that, but that's, that's who he was talking to a lot of the times whenever he called hypocrites. He, he was talking to religious leaders. He called them out. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 2, we're going to read a few of these verses. He, he said this. He's talking to the people, but he said, look, when you give, when you're generous and you give to somebody in need, don't do it like the hypocrites do, blowing their trumpets in the synagogues and the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. Call them hypocrites. And then he said in verse 5, when you pray, don't be like hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners. Oh, God, our Father, look at me, everybody. You know, hey, Don't do that where everybody can, can, can see you like they do. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. Call them hypocrites. Look at verse 16. He said, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they're trying to look miserable and disheveled so that people will admire them for their fasting. He said, look, when you pray and when you give and when you fast, don't do it with the wrong motive. Don't pretend to do it with one motive, but yet you have another motive in mind altogether, which is pride. What he was saying is don't pretend. Don't pretend. The, the Greek word there is hupo uh, retos, and what it means is literally a play actor. 
the Greek actually means it's somebody who plays a part, who pretends, who acts. If you think about Greek theater, um, I know none of us were alive back then, but they didn't have sound systems. So they had these big masks that they would put on with megaphones built into them. And they would yell. And actually, one actor could play two or three different parts. You may see that actor. It could be a guy. Uh, you may know him, one, as the neighbor down the street. And in, in the second act, you may see him as grandma. But you know the actor not based on who they really are, but based on the mask that they're wearing at the time. That's why uh, the logo for, uh, for drama today, for, for plays, are the, the comedy and the drama, the two masks right? And one actor can wear both of them. And so you learn to know the actor, not on who they are, but what mask they're wearing at the time. Jesus said, that's a hypocrite. That's what it is. That's what he was saying. And if you look at the opposite of that, found in Romans 12, 9, with the Greek suffix anno, if you put anno in front of anything in the Greek, it just means the opposite. If I was going to use a play on words and kind of use Greek and English, I would say I'm hungry. And if I was going to put anno in front of it, I would say I am no hungry. I'm not hungry. It means, it means the opposite. And in Romans 12, 9, that's the word we see when, he's, when Paul said love must be, what's the word? Love must be what? Sincere. He said love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. So he's saying hypocrite is a play actor, someone playing a part. The opposite of that is, is being sincere. So before we talk about how to address hypocrisy, I want to make sure you understand the word. What is a hypocrite? It's not somebody who merely says one thing and does the other. A hypocrite is somebody who is being insincere. Because there's, there's a big fine line, guys, between somebody who says they're a Christian and they're struggling with sin. But yet that Christian is striving after God. That Christian is, is doing their very best, but they're falling, and they're, they're trying, and the church is surrounding them, and someone's heart is striving after God. That versus somebody who has little or no desire to change whatsoever, and they're content with pretending. Do you see the difference there? On the outside, it could look the same, but on the inside is something completely different going on. So let's define it. How, how does insincerity come across in the church? Well, um, how about this? When someone acts one way in one setting... And the opposite in another setting, they're, they're being insincere. There was a little boy who found a, a rat in his backyard, and uh, he, he beat it to death with a shovel. I mean, he got this rat and beat it to death with a shovel. Um, kind of cruel, but he didn't care. He wanted to go show his mom. And so he runs into the house. He's got the shovel in one hand and the rat in the other hand by the tail. And he, what he doesn't realize is he's getting ready to tell this to his mom as the pastor of the church had come and, and visited with the mom. And he's saying, Mom, look, I just killed this thing. I beat it to death. I threw it up in the air. And right as soon as he was getting ready to tell the rest of it, he saw the pastor and he said, and then the Lord came and took him away. It was like he was trying to be one thing, but then was complete somebody else in the presence of other people. It's, it's pretending. It's, it's being one way in this company, but another way in another company. Insincerity, that's hypocrisy. It's really a pet peeve of mine, kind of when we're in the church building, and somebody will come over to somebody else and ask them a hard question, kind of playful, and then they'll say, well, you can't lie because you're in church. And then they'll look at me and kind of look for my agreement. And it, it always blows their mind when I say, well, if they're a liar out there, ain't no sense in stopping them when they're in here. <laughs> it's, just, it's bricks. It's just a building. What's, what God cares about is here. Why would anybody come in a building and try to pretend something that they're not? One of the most meaningful experiences that I ever had was years ago, I was a worship pastor. Um, by the way, worship pastors always get to the church service the earliest, and a lot of times they're the last ones to leave. So if you see Pastor Gage today, just pat him on the back and say thank you. They, they, they do that because there's a lot that has to go on with rehearsals and the band and the media. So they're typically the very first ones here, really early. 
And back then, that's what I was doing. And so I, I get to the church house the very first, and there's this guy asleep, literally on the, on the front door of the church building. And I, I had no idea how he got there. Um, and after I woke him up, he had no idea how he got there. And what had happened, he, he got so drunk the night before, he started walking around the small town of Broadway and just stumbled into our parking lot and fell asleep right at the front doors of the church building on Saturday night. And so I woke him up, and I invited him in to get some coffee and invited him in to the church service. The look on his face was completely mortified. He was hungover. He was wearing the exact same clothes that he had on the night before. And he wasn't even trying to pretend. He's like, there's no way I can go in there. I, I am not suitable for this. And, of course, I assured him, man, look, I'm, I'm wearing jeans. You're wearing jeans. It's, it's good. You can come in. Um, and after a few minutes of kind of going back and forth with him, just being love to him, he said, okay. And so he came in, got some coffee. He actually stayed for the whole service. And amazingly, after the service was over, came up and wanted us to pray with him. It was one of the most meaningful experiences that I've ever had. And the point of that is he didn't pretend to be something that he wasn't, and it made him credible. And it actually paved the way for him to have a true, meaningful experience with God. When you pretend to be something you haven't really grown to be as a person, that's insincere, and it's hypocritical. Another type of common hypocrisy, uh, insincerity, is someone who repents on Sunday for something they did on Saturday, but then fully intends to do the exact same thing on Monday. They come in and they, they repent they, what they did before, but they fully intend to go back and do it again. I shouldn't have been so brash to that person yesterday. God, please forgive me. And 10 minutes after the church service is over, they're in this playful conversation. They're defending their personality. Well, that's just who I am. They can just get over it. It's just who I, they can't accept who I am. Somebody repents, but then fully intends to go and do it again. No change at all. That's an insincere, insincere person. Last year, Hugh Jackman uh, starred in a movie uh, playing Gary Hart. Maybe you remember him, maybe you don't. Back in 1988, Gary Hart ran for president, and there was a very public scandal that he got involved with uh, involving a woman, and he didn't win the presidency, but his response to when he got caught that's what kind of rocked America. And I, I will say that's kind of what changed kind of the, the way that we view getting caught uh, with things that we don't need to be involved in. And this is what he said. He said, there's a difference between public morality and private morality. And basically what he was saying is what I do in private has no bearing on what I claim to be in public. And that's the most insincere, hypocritical thing anybody could ever say. Christian, not Christian, just a human being. And I'm here today to tell you this, and this is the truth. I want you to lean in and listen. God didn't give you a public life and a private life. He gave you a life. And he said, I want you to use this life, and I want you to declare my glory with it. Public, private. What you practice in private is what you will eventually be in public. Nathan Hawthorne said this, No man or woman for any considerable period can wear one face in private and then another face to the public without eventually being bewildered as to which one is the true face. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 23, 27. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. He said, you actors, you look like whitewashed tombs on the outside, beautiful, but on the inside you're filled with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. I mean, come on, Jesus, tell us how you really feel, you know? I mean, don't beat around the bush, please. You might feel the same way. Get the hippos out. Get them out of here. We don't want them here. I don't even want to go to church because of the hypocrites there. And listen, while Jesus was clear about being hypocritical, he, he hit it head on. But he was also clear about how we should address hypocrisy. 
Go back to the story, Matthew 13, verse 28. The servants asked him, do you you want us to go and pull up the weeds? Do you want us to pull them out? He said, no, I don't. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you might pull up the wheat with them. He said, leave them there. He said, let them grow together. And so here we are. We're stuck in this dilemma, right? We know what hypocrites are. We see it. We feel it. We're disgusted by the notion of it. Because insincerity, no one's attracted to that. But yet here we are, we have to do something. What do we have to do? We have to address it. So how as Christians do we address hypocrisy? If we can't throw them out, if we can't use it as a reason not to come to church, not to be a part of it, what do we do? Well, this is the second thing. We be real. (laughs) You got to be real. That may sound simplistic. That may sound generic and elementary. But listen to me. You don't combat darkness with darkness. You combat darkness with light. If you want to address hypocrisy, then do the opposite. You be real and you create an environment, help this church create an environment where there's authenticity and there's realness. Be real. And to do that, I want you to remember three things as, you, as you're trying to be real. And this is the part that's going to challenge you. One is you have to remember that you're not perfect either. You have to. You're not perfect either. 1 John 1.8, what does it say? If we say that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, refusing to accept the truth. He's saying you're a fool if you think that you have no sin and you walk around pretending to be something that you're not. Every single one of us have sinned. Every single one of us have the temptation to sin. And every single one of us, given the right set of circumstances, is capable of any sin under the sun. You're capable of it. Don't you ever forget it. The minute you do, you forget that Christ is the one that saves you and gives you the ability to overcome. You have the, the temptation to sin. So you've got to stop pretending you're perfect. It's impossible to address somebody else's faults. If we're going to address hypocrisy, it's impossible to look at somebody else and address that in a God-honoring way without first recognizing my own imperfection. I have to start there. The, the love of Jesus is what somebody needs that is insincere. Would you agree to that? They, they have to have the love of Jesus. That's what changes people. They need to receive it, and then they need to show it. And how am I going to present the love of Jesus to somebody else if I'm not so enriched with it myself that I'm actually walking around pretending like I'm something that I'm not? So i got to remember, if I'm going to walk up to somebody else, I have to at least start with the fact that, you know what, I'm not perfect either, and that's what gives me the ability to walk in humility as I approach. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, he's talking to the church, if somebody is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. The word gently there, the Greek actually means to be made low, to be humble, knowing your place. And that's why the last part of that verse says this, watch yourselves though, or else you might be tempted to. So in order to be real, you have to remember that you're not perfect either. Secondly, you got to remember this, in order to be real, you got to remember that God is the judge. Not you, God is the judge. James chapter 4, verse 12 says, God, what's the next word? Alone. He's the only, God alone who gave the law is the judge. He alone has the power to save and the power to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbor? He's talking about the church now, people in in the church. The the word there is a judicial term. It's a slamming down of the gavel, making a sentence, declaring judgment on somebody else's soul to decide their fate. It would be like a lawyer going into a courtroom and the lawyer getting so worked up that they go, guilty! And what do you think the judge is going to do to a council member who says that? Get out of my courtroom. You've made a mockery of this. 
What do you think God does whenever he looks at people knowing that he's the only judge there is, he's the only one that has the right to judge anybody's soul, and yet he looks at his people trying to declare judgment on somebody else's soul? It's a judicial term here. You can't do it. Now, we can look and judge someone's character. We can look at the fruit of their life. The Bible says, hey, if you look at somebody else, the, the, the fruit by which their life produces, you can tell what kind of tree it is. You, you can see, and we are to go to people, but we, we can't decide their fate. So but what he's saying is when, when you see somebody's fruit of their life, the insincerity, the hypocrisy coming from them, pretending to be one thing that they're not, he said, we're supposed to go to them and restore them. What's the point of going to them? To restore them. And if that's not your heart, then hear your pastor say, be quiet until you get your heart into a place where you can actually go and have the heart and mind to go restore somebody. Knowing that you're not perfect either and knowing that God is the judge. When you get there, then go. You can't evaluate a person's motives. You can't evaluate a person's soul. Are they going to stand before you one day? No, they're not. Do you have the power to save them? No, you don't. You have a mandate from God as Christians to go to them and gently call them back in humility. But part of being real and combating hypocrisy in the church is remembering that God has the final say, not you. Think about the last part of Galatians 6.1, the verse we just read. He said, but watch yourself. <laughs> You've got to watch yourself carefully because you might also be tempted. Third way to be real as you address hypocrisy in the church is to challenge the sin but don't eliminate the person. Be able to challenge the sin without eliminating the person. Remember, our battle is not against each other. The Bible is clear that says our battle, this, this battle of the faith, this battle in, this, in the spiritual realm is against Satan, whose agenda has been and still is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And often we want to look at the person and eliminate them. How dare they do that in here? I don't want to go to that church. Look at them a bunch of fools. Look at them a bunch of hypocrites. I hate them. I don't have anything to do with them. That person needs to leave this church right now. I never in my life, I'm not going to a church that people do that. And it's awfully quiet in here. But is it true? Even if it's never said with words, a lot of times that's what people think. We often want to eliminate the person. The things they do make us mad. The things that they do make us want to leave ourselves or make them leave. But there is a way to challenge sin in order to save the person. And that's what God calls us to do. There's a story uh, back in World War II. Maybe you've heard the story. I don't know. Uh, Captain John Fink, he was a commander of F Company um, in a particular regiment back in World War II. But this particular company was one of the companies that invaded Normandy at Omaha Beach. And if you remember that scene in your history books, it was horrific for the American troops. And interestingly, the captain, John Fink, had sprained his ankle leading up to that particular invasion, and it was taped really good. He was still able to go, but instead of carrying a rifle, he actually was carrying a cane. And when they got there, uh, if you remember the story, the Germans are in high bunkers, and they are just unloading 50 caliber bullets. I'm, I'm you're talking, if you've ever seen a 50 caliber bullet, down onto the beach, and the, their boats would open up, and they would come off, and they would just mow them down. It was basically a giant kill box. And what appeared, at least at the beginning, to be a strategic assault, those, those guys were just completely mowing them down and making it look like chaos. And many of the men that actually made it out of the boat, they just kind of hunkered down trying to take cover right there on the beach, terrified, paralyzed by fear. And they're there, 
knowing that this is the day they're probably going to die, and they're just unwilling to move. And the captain knew, we've got to clear this beach. We have got to move these guys up off the beach towards the seawall. And so he began yelling at them, get up, move. And and when you run in that pattern, they teach you not to run in a straight line, because you're just, you're you're like crosshair. They'll just mow you down, but to run zigzag. And, that's, and it was to yell, get up, move, run, go. And they were just paralyzed by fear. And so he began to take his cane and just whap them with it. Boom, boom, get up, run. And then one by one, they, they take off. And then he hit another one, no response. And he realized that they were already dead. And then he hit another one, yell. And, and as, he realized as long as he was yelling just generally, nobody could, would get up because they could make the excuse that he was talking to somebody else. But when he took that cane and began to hit him with it, it was like this, this personal invitation from the captain to get up and go. And while it stung, it was absolutely no comparison to what would happen if they stayed there. And so I think the end result was 25% of his, uh, of his company was, was lost that day, but he was able to, to get a lot of them to the, to the seawall, saved so many lives. And the fact is, is there are insincere people in our church, comfortable lying down in hypocrisy, taking cover under who they're pretending to be. And our desire is supposed to be to get them to see truth. Our desire is supposed to be to save them, to go to them, not generally like Pastor Ryan stands up on a stage and just preaches this message because that's what you think I should do. No, you are the church. I am your pastor. I'm supposed to be helping you learn what it takes to be the church. And in this instance, go to people And give them a personal invitation, gently leading them back. Because Jesus was very clear in that parable. He said, look, there's a day coming when when we're going to get the wheat and and the weeds up. And first I'm going to take the weeds and I'm going to bundle them together and they're going to be burned. Listen to me. There is a heaven and a hell that is very, very real. And one day it's not going to be a story we tell in faith. One day it's going to be a reality that we live in one place or another. And how, how do we address this in the church? We are supposed to be going to people with the intention to save them. Listen, if you're a Christian today and you're here in this church, your job is to go to them. It is. Not to hurt them, not to embarrass them, but to help them see their fault in such a way that it inspires them to move towards safety. It inspires them to get up and run towards Jesus, the one who died for them. That's your job as a Christian. How well are you doing? I want you to take a self-inventory right now. That's the mandate. Jesus is so passionate about it. Maybe you're here today and you are an insincere person. Listen, there's no condemnation from me. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. So so me as a mere human being, (laughs) there is no condemnation. I love you. And my aim is to be a human being that gets full of the love of Jesus Christ so that when you hear me talk, you hear him. That's my ambition as a pastor, as a person, as a Christian. And if you're here today and you're an insincere person, my, my, my message to you is change. <laughs> but, but maybe you're, you're kind of lying down and hunkered down, taking cover like those guys were at Normandy, and you don't even know the danger. Then my, my message to you is this. Listen, when, when your brothers and sisters come to you in love, and they're wrapping you with the cane, so to speak, and they're telling you, listen, I, you, you got to change. This is what's happening. Maybe you don't see it. I want you to listen to them. It, it may sting, but you got to decide that you're going to go and you're going to run and you're going you're gonna to hear that their love in their hearts and that you're going to run towards Jesus. Do not just sit there in error because it will lead to death. 
Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you've been sitting on the fringes. Been, you've been kind of hiding behind that stereotype. Well, the church is just full of hypocrites. Maybe I, I tried it today. Or maybe you're listening online and, and you're, you're kind of saying the same thing. The church is just full of hypocrites. Listen, you need to know something that, that still doesn't change the fact that one day we as human beings made by God, we are all going to stand before him as individuals. We are. He loves you so much. And he wants you to accept his sacrifice for you so that when you stand there, you're going to be seen worthy. That's his whole point. That's what he did. That's what he died for. And so that when you stand before an almighty, all-righteous, holy God, that you wouldn't stand there and be seen as unworthy of him because you tried to do it by yourself, but that he would take on and accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ so that when he sees you, he sees the worthiness of Jesus and what he did for you. That's it. It's a free gift. And he says, accept it. But you got to know, when you stand before him, there's not going to be anybody else there. You're not going to be able to point to a bunch of insincere people, a bunch of hypocrites. You're not going to be able to do that. The, 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 the question that's going to be answered is not, what did you do with all the hypocrites? The question that is already going to be answered is, what did you do with my son Jesus? You. And I believe he stands today like he does every day, every second. It's his mission. It's his goal. He stands at the door and he knocks at the door of your heart. And he's saying, I want you to accept me. And if you will, if you'll open that door to me, I will come in and I will give you life and that to the full. That's what he says to you today. And so can we just bow our heads together and pray? And all three of these categories, if you're a Christian today, you have the mandate by God to address hypocrisy the way Jesus did with love and heart in his heart to call it what it is but to do it in such a way that draws people if you're insincere today if you would call it kind of hurts to say it but if you would call yourself hey I fit into the category of being hypocritical my challenge to you as I pray is to get up from there and run to Jesus to safety And if you're struggling with wondering if you even want to be a part of God's church, I want you to know that my job is not to try to sway you or bend your arm. My job is to tell you the truth. And God's counting on you to be able to make that decision for him based on what he's saying to your heart right now, personally. God, I love you. And I know some of this was hard today. Some of it was funny. Some of it was light. Lord, but there's some of it that challenges us. And I'm just going to be honest and say, I'm... I'm no better than anybody sitting in these seats or anybody watching anywhere else. I, I am a human being. And when I step off this, this platform, I am just Ryan Barbado, a guy from Goldsboro, North Carolina. And every bit of this applies to me just as much. And I, have, I, I struggle with it just like anybody else would. God, help us. Help us to see the, the light of going and gently calling people back for those of us that are Christians in the room. Don't let us sit idly by and be comfortable with our own walk with you. But help us to remember what your mission is and what your goal is and to get on board with what you're doing and to address hypocrisy in the church. Understand it and address it. God, for those who in the room who are, are insincere, they're, they're being hypocritical, who are pretending. I, I know some of that's because they're fearful. What might people think if they knew the real me? So I got to put on a front and try to be something I'm not. Jesus, you, you spoke so many times in the scriptures where you said, do not fear. That's what it is. It just all boils down to fear. What if I'm not accepted? I just pray there'd be a boldness, Holy Spirit, right now, that you just begin to show people how important they are. 
spiritually, even just scientifically, we, uh, the, the strands of our DNA, the, the, the fact that there is no other person that ever will be, that ever was, there is now, that can compare to the uniqueness of each individual person. That you made us each individual, individually, with, with unique set of gifts, unique set of talents. You love us just like we were the only ones on the planet. And I pray that word goes into somebody today and they begin to get really comfortable with who they are and begin to show that. Lord, for those in the room that um, are on the fringe of, of Christianity, for those listening online that are just kind of wondering, what is it going to be if I get in that church? Or what is it going to be if I get in the church, any church that's, that's full of insincere people? If that's you today, I, I want just to extend this invitation that that stereotype is a lie in the sense that there's no room for you. In the sense that there's insincere people so that so you can't be a part. That's not what the scriptures say at all. Would you accept him today? I'm just going to say a prayer. And I, I just wonder if you'd be bold enough. If you feel God tugging at your heart right now and only you can know what that feels like. If you'd say yes to him. Say this prayer with me. God, I need you. And there's so many questions I have. But if I'm honest with myself, I'm hiding behind them. Let me move the questions out of the way and see the real you. There are people in the church that have skewed my vision about what it really is supposed to be. But I have an understanding that they're human just like me. And you solved that problem when you became a human and you did the complete opposite and did it in perfection. So I no longer want to look at John, Bill, whoever else the name is, you fill in the blank, that skews my vision. I just want to look at the man, Jesus Christ, who was a human. He came and who started the very church. I want to look at him. That's all. And when I make this decision today to accept Jesus, to accept his blood shed for me, the sacrifice that was shed for me, I believe that he really rose from the grave by the power of God. I'm accepting him as my sacrifice. And when I accept him, I am going to help other people that may have skewed my vision to see truth. And I want to do it in love. So help change me, God. I thank you for all that you're doing in me. God, I thank you for all you're doing in this church. I thank you that you have provided us a place to come and we can come and love on each other and, and share truth in a very real, sometimes heavy way, Lord, but to do it in a room that, that is so loving and so passionate about you. I pray, God, that as we walk out of here today, that there will be no self-condemners. God, but that we'll all realize that we're on this journey together and we're all trying to help each other along and we're not scared to tell truth when it's, when it's needed. And I pray all this in the name of Jesus, amen. Look at me real fast. You have a connect card right in front of you, the one we talked about earlier. I want you to get it out. And if you prayed that prayer to say yes to Jesus Christ, I want you to take a second. On that connect card is a box and it says, I prayed to accept Christ today. I prayed to receive Jesus. I want you to check that box. Don't let your starting line be your finish line. But check that box and take a next step. And as you walk out today, there's some ushers there. And you can put that, uh, put that card into the usher basket as you walk out. We want to we follow up with you. Don't, don't do it alone. Uh, the worst thing you could ever do is walk out of here and not have told anybody and succumb to the enemy. When he, you walk out, That he's going to say, you know what? That was just nothing. You didn't do anything significant. Don't worry about it. But if something powerful happens when you let somebody know. So would you be bold and do that? If you're here for the very first time today, I want to tell you thank you so much for coming. If you're here for the first time today or for the first time, uh, or maybe you've been coming for a little while, we have a guest gathering happening right now after the service, right here in the lobby. We're going to have some snacks and waters for you uh, and some other good things. And we just want to get to know you. 15 minutes at 
That's all we're asking. We'll get you right out the door and on your way. Guys, I love you so much. We're going to be talking about some other stereotypes as we go along this month. So be prepared. Come back next week. Bring somebody who you think this would be interesting to because we're really going to be hitting this hard. I love you guys so much, and I'll see you then.